If you have your Bibles, join me in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 29. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 29. So we've, in this series, we've looked at faith, the acronym F-A-I-T-H. We first started with the fearless faith, Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, and we learned that God is with us at all times, and therefore we can take courage. The second sermon looked at A, aligning with God, and that came from Romans chapter 6, verses 16 to 18, where we make a choice. We make a choice to reject the world and to follow Christ. Last week we looked at the letter I, instruction that our faith is not just a one-time deal, but our faith should be growing, and we should be learning, we should be adding to our spiritual tool belt. We talked about the Word of God being the basic vehicle by which we learn to live out our faith. So today, we come to T, which is thankfulness. And I had originally scheduled a couple of other scriptures, but uh, really enjoyed reading Hebrews chapter 12, and these verses in particular, 18 to 29. I think sometimes we forget how significant our faith is. And sometimes it's good to go back and, and think about exactly what we have in reference to our faith in Christ. Now, this letter of Hebrews, probably written somewhere 68, 69 uh, AD, authorship, nobody has really come up with a good answer for authorship. Some say Paul, some say Barnabas, there's other uh, names that are floating out there, but none of that has ever been proven. It was canonized, so it is part of Scripture. It is divinely inspired, uh, but you, you may have eight or nine different views as to who wrote the book or the letter of Hebrews. But there's a couple of things that's very clear here. One is that Hebrews was written to a Jewish audience. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to put on your Jewish cap and think about this sermon this morning from a Jewish perspective. And the issue for the Jews here was that the writer was trying to get the Jews to move towards trusting in Christ. Not only that, but he was trying to get the Jews away from the law so that they would embrace the Christian life and come under this wonderful new umbrella in which Jew, Gentile, slave, free, Greek, whoever you were, could come under the umbrella of Christ and enjoy the benefits of the new covenant. And by the way, when we talk about the Old Testament, the word uh, testament is covenant. So you have an old covenant. And when we talk about the New Testament, you're talking about a new covenant. The old covenant was in place to help the Jews come to know Christ. So that's what I want to talk about. Think about being a Jew this morning. Think about being without Christ. 
And then as we unfold these verses, as we go through them, you'll understand why we get to the second part of this. I know it looks like a big head and a little body sermon, but let's, let's kind of unpack this. First of all, we want to look at the covenants, and we'll focus particularly on the old covenant. Now, the writer of Hebrews writes this, and think about this from a Jewish mindset. I, that, I think that's key. You're without Christ. You're learning about what Jesus does. For you, Jews, have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. This is Old Testament. And the sound of a trumpet and a voice, a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken. What is the writer of Hebrews talking about? Well, he's talking about Moses. He's talking about how the Ten Commandments and how the law was ushered in. And so there was this moment of fear. It was actually off limits. The mountain itself was off limits to the people. Moses had direct access with God. You can check it out in Exodus 19, 12 to 22. It was definitely off limits. There were blazing fire taking place on the mountain. There's darkness and gloom and tempest. It all showed the reverence of God up on Mount Sinai. So the people watching below would have witnessed this event. And we'll find out that even Moses trembled. So here you have at the beginning of this discourse in which he's going to move the, the, the Jews into a different area, he focuses on Mount Sinai. The trumpet that was playing as the people listened was an authoritative command from God. So uh, the, there was fear. There was fear. The p- people did not want to hear from God. Deuteronomy 5, 23 to 27 basically says, can you hear God and live? And, and Jewish mindset, uh, they, they didn't even say the name God. They had G-D because the name of God was so holy. So it, here you have this, this moment in time that the author is pointing to, say, this is how the old covenant was ushered in. It was a time of fear. It was a time of trembling and that God was speaking to Moses. Ray Steadman makes a good quote here. The point of his description of Mount Sinai and the giving of the law is that the Old Covenant aroused unbearable fear. The sight of the burning mountain and the ever-increasing blare of the trumpet, the darkness, storm, fearful threats directed even towards the beast. If a beast were to wander onto the mountain, that beast would be destroyed, created such fear in the people that they begged Moses to plead with God for relief. Very important that he says this because he's trying to show the Jewish people this is how the Ten Commandments and the laws of God, everything, 735 some odd laws in in the Pentateuch came down. It was a dark moment. God did that for a reason. First of all, for reverence for him. But secondly, the severity of the Old Testament. We looked at this. The Old Testament provided blessings. If you do this, I will bless you. 
It also provided curses. If you don't do this, this will happen. And we see the nation of Israel all the time. Honestly, I don't know how God endured it. He did allow a remnant. But the author here is setting up right up front in, in these few verses here the fact that the law was ushered in much differently than the New Testament. For they could not, this is verse 20, for they could not endure the order. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. So you have the people watching. And they're seeing all of this transpire on the mountain. They know Moses is up there. And by the way, verse 21 says, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I trembled with fear. You can see Moses up on Mount Sinai and God speaking and Moses shaking with fear. God speaking to him, the leader, the leader of the nation of Israel in fear and trembling. Moses freely admits that. This is how the Old Testament was, was moved in. The Old Testament and the laws were holy. The problem was, and you read Galatians, the problem was the law was never put into place for salvation. That was never the intent. The intent, as Paul writes so eloquently in Galatians, was to lead them to saving faith so that they might come under the law. And the fact is, nobody will get into heaven based on the Old Testament law. It is impossible. And the other issue is, if, if you could, why did Christ come? Why did Christ come? Well, the main issue why Christ came was, he came to fulfill everything in the law that God wrote and spoke and said, and I would even say thought. He came to fulfill that. The Jews have their grips on the Old Testament. They cannot let go of the Old Testament and the Old Testament law. Not that the law was bad. The law is not bad. But the law also pointed out man's, mankind's failure to keep it. So here you have this fearful moment where God is speaking there's flashes of lightning. There's trumpets going off. The people are down, fearful, afraid. And even then, they organized to make a god of themselves, a golden calf. Amazing. God speaking on the mountain, and they're down there building a calf. Crazy. Now, that's one side. You have this fearful moment where the people are afraid. And now the writer says, but wait a minute. There's a better way. There's a new way. Now we're going to look at new. How did that get ushered in? And by the way, I want to stress that again. They, they could not step one foot on Mount Sinai. Not one. Big, big problems if they did. Now notice verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and the city 
of the living God. So, Mount Zion, which is known as the Temple Mount, was Mount Moriah. And many scholars, this is, this is one look. You see the Rock of the Dome. Uh, th this is one view. You can see that it's, it's mountainous. This is a closer view right here. You, you can clearly see the temple. And so the writer here looks at, okay, this is how it was ushered in under Moses. Let me tell you how it's ushered in now. You have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God. Verse 22, the heavenly Jerusalem. Key, heavenly Jerusalem. And to the innumerable angels in festival gatherings. You notice how much nicer this is. Coming to the mountain, Mount Zion. And now you have this angelic realm celebrating. It draws you in. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. And to the saints of the righteous made perfect. Think about it. For a Jew to be made perfect was wild in their mind. Because you can't possibly be perfect because you're going to stumble at some point in the law. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. So fear, anxiety, trembling, and now you come to this image of serenity and ultimately security. Seven blessings in these verses here. The first one is, it's the living God and it's the heavenly Jerusalem. John writes in Revelation, I see the heavenly Jerusalem coming down. It's going to be a great day. This is a moment where the author is saying, look, you can live here or you can enjoy this heavenly Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem, this perfect Jerusalem that will eventually come down. He's encouraging them to come and accept that. Also, angelic celebrations. By the way, the Bible says that the angels rejoice each time one sinner repents. So you have this festival celebration of the heavenly Jerusalem, and it's just a place of joy, not a place of fear, not a place of darkness, not a place of incompetence and inability to live it out fully. Now you have over here this moment where there's a celebration And he's trying to move them from here to here. I have met people in my life that believed and even taught Sunday school that said you can obey the Ten Commandments and you can obey the Old Testament laws to the letter and reach perfection. As a young pastor, I was shocked by that. really shot and it was two of my oldest deacons I'm so thankful for our deacons 
I'm really thankful. These deacons didn't, one of them didn't even believe the Old Testament was inspired. It was quite amazing. It really was. How you can be in church for 35, 40 years and miss that. One deacon told me God doesn't even answer prayer. He was a PhD professor of mathematics. I did, back in the day, I would go around and see where people worked, and I remember him doing his mathematics class. I, I sat in it. I didn't know what he was doing. I had no idea. I'm, I'm doing good to divide and subtract and multiply. <laughs> Afterwards, he said, well, what did you think of the class? And I said, it was Greek to me. So, but... This was the group that I had, and it really became apparent that these, these guys don't even know Scripture. So it is quite amazing. Angelic celebrations. Firstborn, that's us. Firstborn from the dead, the church. You are enrolled in the kingdom of God. That's what, you're not enrolled over here, because you, to get enrolled, you've got to be over here. And the author is saying, look, Jesus Christ was the firstborn from the dead and the firstborn that are connected to Jesus Christ are enrolled in heaven. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It is written, not in pencil where it can be erased, but it is written in solid form. So many things. Many of you remember Jim Seals. I love Jim. I went over to his house one day towards the, towards the end, and he's, he, he, he's telling me, he said, Pastor, I had a dream last night. And I said, what was, what was the dream? And Jim told me the dream. He said, I was on this side, and there was a river between me and somebody on that side who was digging. And he said, sand was flying everywhere. And he said, at some point in that dream, he looked down and it was his name carved. And then he said, it was Jesus that was carving it. And it was linked with other names. I told him, God is letting you know that you are secure. And the author here is saying, the firstborn that's us. That's anybody that's trusted in Christ. That's me. That's you. Anybody that's trusted in Christ, your name is already. Paul says we're already reigning in heaven. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That will never be taken away. Now, if you've truly trusted in him, and I mean truly trusted in him, then it becomes, in it, there's no way you can not be unsaved. Because your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The author here is saying, look, the firstborn church, that's us. We are now enrolled in heaven. When the roll is called up yonder. I, I was once told last couple weeks ago, please don't sing from the pulpit. So that was, that was just, uh, just a little bit there. But I'm not going to sing the whole thing because I took that criticism or that constructive criticism. Uh, uh, 
to heart. Not only that, number four will be the presence of God. It's the living God. That's, that's what makes us so wonderful. It's not a fearful thing. And, and by the way, Jim told me after that, and we, and we talked, he said, I'm not afraid. I know who I have believed and am persuaded that he will keep that which I committed unto him until that day. Such a good moment with Brother Jim. And I miss him. I really do. But when he told me that his name was linked with these other names, it was just, I said, Jim, God is preparing you and securing your faith. Wow. Not only that, the spiritual saints are made perfect. How many of you are ready to be made perfect? When we cross that finish line, I won't need all the meds that I have now, and it'll be a great, a great day. And by the way, Jim and others that I have known in this church who have crossed the finish line, I can tell you without a doubt that they are perfect. But you can continue to live over here fearful or you can live over here joyful there's also Jesus the mediator Jesus the mediator he mediates between God and man and he ever lives to mediate for us I, I think some pastors are right when, when, when they say particularly when we send Jesus says charge it to me uh, we shouldn't live like that, obviously. We shouldn't just take our salvation. We're done away with this. This new has come. Now I'm going to live my life as, as I see fit. No. No, it's, it's really you, you can serve God out of fear or you can serve God out of love. Choose to serve God out of love. You love him. Fall in love with God. But here you have Jesus Christ, the mediator. Then you have, not only that, the atoning blood of Christ. How we get into heaven is based on the atoning blood of Christ. All of us know that. But if you're a Jew this morning, and you're thinking with your Jewish cap on, you're, you're, you're thinking immediately the sacrifice in the temple. And the Jew would then recognize that the sacrificial lamb now is probably a reference to Christ. So he's trying to move them from law, ceremony, sacrifices to the one sacrifice that was paid once and for all and he sheds that in our hearts those are the blessings now we come to another one the shaking this is this is interesting i'm going to put it this way because it'll help you understand what the author's saying see that you jews do not refuse him who is speaking god don't refuse god for they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. Much less will they escape if they reject him who warns him from heaven. So there was a warning. There was this big shaking. John, John MacArthur has a good, good quote here. The unbelieving Israelites who ignored God at Sinai did not enter the earthly promised land. And unbelievers today, Jew or Gentile, 
who ignore God when he speaks through his son from Mount Zion will not enter the heavenly promised land. So they reject Christ. They're stuck here. They're not getting in, even though they are God's chosen people. By the way, when the millennium starts, all of this, God's going to go back and try to save the Jews again. Uh, go back and read uh, Romans chapter uh, 9, 10, and 11. talks about uh, how God will do that. But the fact is, they rejected God at Mount Sinai. Well, the problem is when you reject Jesus Christ, you reject your only means by which you can get into heaven. And it doesn't matter who you are, Greek, Jew, Roman, whatever. You, you cannot get in. And so at that time, verse 26, at that time, his voice shook the earth. Think, think about Mount Sinai shaking. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth. This is so good. This is really so, really so good. I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Verse 27. The phrase, listen to this very carefully. The phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Thomas Lay writes this. He's absolutely correct. The shaking of the earth and judgment involves the destruction of the created things. This judgment will reveal the greater spiritual realities which cannot be shaken or removed. Christian believers share in the kingdom which no amount of final judgment can destroy. The security of our position in Christ gives us an incentive to endure in faithfulness. No matter what happens in this world, no matter how much it is shaken, you will stand firm because you believe in Jesus Christ. Nothing can shake that. No matter what judgments come, no matter what comes against you, no matter what is going on in your life, you will remain steadfast because of your connection to the Savior. And in a sense, there is security. Now, I've spent 20 minutes going through these covenants. We've looked at the Old Testament. The Old Testament's holy. It is inspired. It is also pointing to Jesus Christ. Even the prophecies, Ezekiel, all these prophets that wrote that there's coming a day, there's, there's coming a new day. And then in Christ, that new day is here. And the Jews and you and everybody watching by Facebook or wherever, uh, you, you have a choice. You can either live here thinking that that's going to get you to heaven, or you can live here knowing for sure that you're going to heaven. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. You have been sealed until the day of redemption. I think I thought a lot about Jim Seals this week. That, that chain that he, I visualized the chain and, and it was locked. He said it was locked solid. That is your position in Christ. 
and all the church members that formed this church that have, that have gone on, their names have been enrolled in the kingdom of God. And every Christian that is called on the name of Christ was enrolled in heaven. And so when the roll is called up yonder, we'll all be there. Because when you trust in Jesus Christ, you are enrolled. So we've moved from this to this. And no matter what calamities come against us, it will remain firm and solid. So the response, the response is, so let's be thankful. See, the writer here is excellent. And the Greek is very excellent. He wants to paint a picture of how fearful and trembling and daunting is the law. But he says, I want to show you a better way. I want to show you a way that is steeped in grace, steeped in forgiveness, has an angelic celebration going on. You think about all the, the throne of God and, and just amazing. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Nothing will shake your position in Christ. Isn't that good news? Nothing will shake your position in Christ. The word grateful here, haris, which is also used for the word grace at times, refers to being thankful. Think about it. If you were a Jew, if you were a Jew, and that's why I wanted you to put your Jewish cap on, if you were a Jew and you heard this, praise Adonai, praise Elohim, praise Yodehavev, I'm joyful again, I'm saved, I'm redeemed. I now live in this wonderful new era where God used the law to lead me to Christ where I can be saved, come under the lordship of Jesus Christ and embrace People from different cultures, different backgrounds, who have all trusted in Christ. What a great, wow, what a, and that's why, be thankful. The, the, the kingdom, basileia, and, and, the, and the word um, paralambano means to accept or to welcome. He's saying, be grateful that you have welcomed the kingdom of God into your heart. And it should make us so thankful. Thank you, Lord, that you sent Christ. Thank you that you redeemed me by the power of your blood. Thank you that I am made fit for heaven, not based on what I have done, but because of what you have done. And all praise and honor and glory be to your name. Basileia, the kingdom, that word means an eternal rule of a king. You can Google this. This is probably the best one, best picture that I could come up with. The heavenly Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, we don't know what this looks like. But I do know that when the believer crosses the finish line, they embrace the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem, what it's going to be like. And 
Jim Seals and many of our friends here, Bill Fote, just so many, just to name a few, who have crossed that finish line. They have seen the new Jerusalem. They have seen the heavenly Jerusalem. Think about it. They are walking with God. I know on this side of the fence it hurts and it's painful to lose a loved one. But let them go and experience all the joy. We have no idea. No scholar can ever come up with, a, with an exact picture. But the, I like this one because it shows this heavenly Jerusalem that someday will come back down and God will walk among us. That's amazing. That is amazing. And by the way, I want to say this again. I may use this scripture next week, so kind of jot it down. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away for you reserved in heaven. I wonder if Peter thought about this or if he saw this scroll. I know God spoke through Peter too, but it's unshakable. There's one constant in your life. You are kept in the hand by the Father. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your trials, what, you are kept by the Father. That is the one constant that is in your life today and mine. From this kingdom look, well, the obvious thing is worship. Remember our five core values? Remember what the first one was? Grace, the arrow goes down in which we receive the grace of God. The second one is worship, the arrow goes up. Because of God's gracious grace, I can then praise him and worship. Verse, let's, let's finish this up. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. Yaristos, acceptable, that is pleasing. With reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Lotruo, lotruo which is worship, which means to perform religious rites. So in a sense, worship is not only praising God, but it is also doing the work of ministry. It is also doing the kingdom stuff that we should be doing throughout the week. As we close this morning, first of all, Let's thank God that Christ came. And the joy that we have a new way of approaching God. Not the fearful way, but a joyful way. We have a secure foundation. I've said it before. I'll stick by it. Once in Christ, always in Christ. Never to be outside of Christ. And then this week, serve him with thanksgiving. Think about what God has done for you. Be joyful and thankful. Let's go out this week, live for him, praise him, and be ever grateful for your salvation.